Thank you all. Thank you so much. It's a a joy to be with you uh, today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're turning to John chapter 20 for that. There was a letter that came from the Health and Human Services Department to a resident in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, The letter basically said, we wanted to inform you that we have, starting in March of 1992, we are stopping your food stamps. We have found out that you have died. May, May God bless you. And I love the end of that letter. You may reapply if circumstances change. What the Holy Spirit is inspiring John to write here in chapter 20 is to remind the people of God that things have changed. Because of Easter Sunday, circumstances have changed. That those who have died can now be made alive. And we want to celebrate that this morning and really just look to one point. That's my Easter gift to you today. We'll just look at one point, but we've got to look at two words in John's gospel that we find everywhere to get to that one point. So if you're following along, we're in John 20, and it's this verse that comes up for us here, this word, believe. Look, our culture idolizes Uh, when somebody is very competent at what they do. Especially we idolize when somebody has great knowledge. You know stuff, and you're going places, but we don't always know what we think we know. Those disciples then thought they knew. The Pharisees then thought they knew, and both of them should have what was about to happen and take place but they didn't know. We can think we know things, but maybe we don't. Is a peanut a nut? Hmm, I want you to keep score now mentally. Is a peanut a nut? It's not. It's it's a legume. And then I've got other questions. Is an American buffalo a buffalo? It's not. It's a bison. Anybody still two for two? Is a koala bear a bear? It's not a bear. Is a palm tree a tree? What well, depends on how you define tree. Is pink a color? There's debate right now about the wavelengths of that. Is that really a color or not? I thought I knew all those things, and now I'm confused as to what I know. The Pharisees, with the scriptures and the training that they had, they should have known that resurrection was coming. The disciples, after they had been told at least three times on the journey to the cross, on their journey to Jerusalem, they should have known that resurrection was coming. But what we find out here is it's not just about knowing something intellectually. We see that here in verse 2 and verse 13 when Mary Magdalene says twice, I don't know where where they've put him. I don't know in my head. I don't intellectually know. But it's interesting when you get to verse 8. The disciple who Jesus loved. When you get to verse 8, it's a totally different verb. It doesn't say that he knew Jesus was resurrected, but what does it say? He sees those things and he believed. Not just head knowledge, but belief that Jesus Christ was alive. That's the whole purpose of the gospel. You go to chapter, uh, go down to verse 31, and it reminds us again, and it's that same verb that we find here in verse 8. John's gospel was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God. And our one point for today is what the rest of that verse says. But the first thing is the first thing. There's got to be belief. And you see that word throughout the Gospel of John. It'd be a great study to watch how that's deepened and clarified. Not just intellectual assent to a truth, yes, but it means I put my whole weight, my whole soul into this. I believe it with all that I have. Belief. And then the second word would be relationship. You see, Jesus has talked about that over and over again, and now here at relationship, you, uh, at resurrection, you see how that word comes up again. Now, let me say, as we get into this passage, you see an evidence here that Jesus was bodily resurrected. Someday we'll talk fully about that, I hope. But this is a proof that that happened. This is not Casper, the friendly ghost, who's come back, because some in that culture believe that Jesus never existed in the flesh. The Greeks thought that the flesh was, was dirty, it was unclean, and so Jesus never would have come in the flesh. He was just some kind of ascended master or spirit who spoke truth. And then others would say, uh, modern scholars might say, he, when he came back, he was just kind of Patrick Swayze and ghost, or spoiler alert, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Empire Strikes Back, this spirit that comes to lead the way. What does the verb say here? It's the negative in the Greek, clinging which means not prohibitive, don't cling to me. It's the negative, you are clinging to me. You're grabbing me, you're holding me, and you need to stop. He was bodily resurrected. What does that resurrection then mean for her, for Mary? But what does it mean for us? Verse 16 to 18, you already see the change there. First she calls him teacher, then she's confronted by the reality of the resurrection, and then the next word is Lord. Not just a leader of my life, a teacher of my life. You are the Lord God. And you see what he says, especially in verse 17. The shift that's happened because of the cross and because of the resurrection. He doesn't just say, as he's been saying throughout the Gospels, we've talked about this. My Father, my Father, my Father. Your God too. My God is now your God. Throughout the Gospel, Jesus has been talking about the great communion he has with his Father. The unity that he has with his Father. And he even prays that the believers would know that. He speaks that that truth will be reality. He prays in his high priestly prayer that that would be reality. And here he says it and makes testimony after his resurrection. You can have it. It would almost seem like heresy to hear that. The kind of life and relationship and vibrancy that I have with God as his son, it's yours. might sound outlandish. But it's Jesus the Christ who is saying it. This kind of relationship can be yours. Believe, not just head knowledge. Understand that he has raised us to new life, that we might have relationship, right relationship with the Father. And so we can get to the one point. And the one point would be this today. Jesus is not only alive, as amazing as that is, but in his goodness to us. He makes us alive too. Let's get some background for that. As we celebrate that and as we look at that, we've talked together about for these weeks of Lent, why did Jesus die? We've talked about he died to be our substitute. He died for the forgiveness of sins. He died to reconcile us to God. He died because his word said it. Whatever the Father says will happen, it will happen. And we can bank and trust. We can bank on and trust in his word. 
He died for the glory of his Father. He died, as we said on Maundy Thursday, to be an example to us. But there's also another motif to his atoning work on the cross that says so much to us. And that is that Jesus died on his cross, same with why he came in his incarnation, to empathize with us. To empathize with our condition. John 1.14 says, The Word, the one who was eternal with the Father, the Word became flesh. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, the one who has been tempted in all things, and yet, as we are, and yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he knew no sin, but also he knew no sin to become our sin or to become sin for us. Made like us, covered in our brokenness, covered in our sins, and then he dies. His death signals to us he is with us, one of us. Sarah, Sarah's birthday is in March. And one particular birthday, uh, I knew she wanted something from a particular department store at a mall. And so one of her many gifts was to give her a gift certificate so she could pick out exactly which particular item she wanted from that mall. So it was in all the gifts that I gave to her. Well, when she opened that up, she got really excited about it and said, well, tell you what, let's go today. And I said, well, today's your birthday. We'll just celebrate with family. She says, no, no, let's, let's go today so I can get it today. Today was in March. Today was on a Saturday. Today was on the the day of the semifinals for the final four. But being hopefully a loving husband, I got in the car and we went to this one department store to get in and to get out and, and to get, get that one item. Two hours in one store to get that one item. But I remember walking into that store. Now normally, men who walk into department stores sometimes, and I'm being, I know this is a general category here, but walk into a mall with your wife, shopping for her, and sometimes you'll look at other guys, you know, just kind of nod, you know, acknowledging we, we don't typically want to be here this long, but we love our wives and we're here. Sometimes you, you might even give a little shrug like, hey, what are you going to do? You know, we're here. I didn't look at a soul. I didn't look at another man, and another man did not look at me. It was the final four. The games were on. I was in shame. They were in shame. We were supposed to be in front of a television set watching the game. No other man would look me in the eye. No passing glances, nothing. Every guy in that store knew we had sunk. Now, not really. Hopefully that's, that's being a loving husband but we identified together. I didn't even want to look because I knew we were all in the same boat. What we get a picture of throughout all the Gospels and all of Scripture in the prophets and from the very beginning is God gets into the midst of our lives. We understand the empathy that Christ had for his children. He loved them so much that he became one of us. And he knows all of our stuff. The lows, the mess, the hurts, the struggles. He knew our temptations. He knew what it was to be betrayed by a friend. He knew what it was to lose a loved one. Joseph's not at the cross, so we're assuming he's lost his stepfather. 
He knows what it is to struggle with physical pain, to be emotionally broken, to be in the midst of spiritual warfare, to have great opposition. He knows our lives, and he entered into, became incarnate, and lived among us, and became one of us, so that in his life and in his death, we can share in his life and in his resurrection. He knew what it was to be with us, and now we can know what it's like to be not only with him, but to be like him. Wesleyan scholar Thomas Oden says it this way, God became human that humanity might, through union with Christ, be deified. That's a scary word. Be deified. In faith, we become partakers of Christ's own resurrected body. His resurrection points to what we are to become. Paul says it this way to the church in Rome in chapter 6. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. He empathized with our condition. He died for it. But just as importantly, he wouldn't let us go and he wouldn't let us remain in our condition. There were two skydivers. One of them was learning how to skydive. Another was, was somebody who had a, uh, was a veteran of doing that. They were from Iceland. And they had come over to Florida to make some jumps. And maybe you heard about that story years ago in the news. Uh, the novice had jumped out, and right after, the other person had jumped out, was monitoring him very closely, and for some reason, the novice would not pull his chute. Now, they were getting to that point of no return where you fall too far. Even if you pull the chute, you've fallen too far that the chute won't open, stop you enough, and you are going to die. But still, the veteran glided over to where he was and was trying to get that chute open desperately trying to get that cord and to pull it, even though he knew he was getting to the line, that he was at the line, and that he should have let go, but he didn't let go. And they both fell to their death. What John's gospel, what the cross and resurrection tell us, the people of God is, is that our Savior will not let us go. John 13 begins by saying that he loved those disciples to the very end. The cross says to us in John's gospel that he will not let us go. He went to his death. In his death, he would not let us go, but, but he also rose. He won't let us just stay in our condition, but he raises us up to new life in him. Today we praise Jesus for the cross and for the resurrection. But also we praise him for the power of the cross and the resurrection. He is alive, and because he is alive, we don't have to be the same anymore. And that's John's whole point, is we can't stay the same. 
Another word study that would be so helpful is to walk through John's gospel and just follow the word life. Like we said uh, recently, that word father in John's gospel, you find it two more times than you do in any other gospel. That word life, you find it more than double than in any other gospel, more than in any other book of the New Testament. This word life over and over again. Not only this eternal life that we can have, but it's life now. He died that we might be with him for eternity, but he will not leave us in our condition. I love what Philip Yancey says about the resurrection. He's, he's impressed by how low-key it is. I mean, in this story, you have a gardener, maybe a lowly vocation in, in that time. Um, he only appeared to a few people, not to some politician or somebody famous, just a few disciples. There weren't any kings bearing gifts from a far country or angels singing in the night sky like there was at Christmas. There's just, there's no fanfare. You'd think there would have been a Super Bowl halftime party. You'd think there would have been a 4th of July uh, fireworks kind of display. The only thing you get in Matthew's gospel is, is an earthquake. And it's not necessarily connected by the other people that, oh, that means or signifies resurrection has happened. It's low-key. This huge event in human history, I mean, God could have validated Christ's atoning work on the cross by just shining a light and saying, everybody see, here's the Christ. He is, I have raised him up from the dead. All of you bow to him. That's not what God does. What is God's plan and what does he do? It's you and it's me. The only way to explain the explosion of the church in the book of Acts is that people chose to be bridges of God that people believed, that people were in relationship now with God, but as this word life keeps coming up, they were just different. There was something different about the way they lived. There was something different about the way they served. There's something different about the way they risked for the kingdom. Those three words are, are such a good word for us today. Do you believe? Not just do you know about God, but on this day, Easter Sunday, how's your belief? Is it a heart belief where you've put your whole being into the, into the grace of God through Jesus Christ? I pray that for you today. How's your relationship with God? He doesn't just want you to live life for him, but he wants to live life with you over and over again in this gospel. That's the goodness of Jesus' message. It's life, the vine, and, 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 and it's just all these images of life together with God and communion with God. How's your relating with God? But then also, what's happening in your heart and in your life? John is reminding us it's not just this great gift of eternal life, but it's life right now. Praise God. Jesus is alive. In his cross and resurrection, Jesus has empathized with our condition. and He wouldn't let us go. He wouldn't let us go. And because of his cross, not only can we know the forgiving grace of God, not only can we know relationship with God, we just don't have to be the same. As we close, hear, what, hear, hear how John describes it. And I, I don't have enough time this morning to read all of them. I'm just going to get to chapter 10. But hear what John says is ours in Christ Jesus. 
For just as the Son raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but he has passed out of death into life. And I love how Jesus ends that section by saying, are you unwilling to come to me so that you might have life? For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The thief comes only to steal and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, I pray that you believe. I pray that you're walking in relationship with God. It's what he offers to us in Christ Jesus. And if we'll do those things, life has got to follow. Real life, vibrant life, changed life to the glory of the one who gave all for us, was raised from the dead, that we might have life. Amen and amen. Now may the